Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mace, and welcome to a very, 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 very special episode of Beyond the Album Cover. On the phone with me right now, I have Chris Lee, voice anchor of WRAL, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And full disclosure, Chris and I, we went to UNCG together, so it's going to be a lot of rabbit holes. We're going to go down this interview as we talk about his career and other things, and then reminisce about our time as UNCG Spartans. So, Chris, welcome to to the podcast, bro. So, man, uh, this feels like the old days, like back in like 2005, like late at night, 12, we're at UAG and doing your show together and all that. This is awesome, man. I know, right? It feels like we've come full circle, you know, seeing where you are now and then me getting back into doing interviews with the podcast. It's just a really special moment for me. For sure. I'm glad to be on. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem. So, uh, first off, how did you get your start in media being in good old High Point? North Carolina. It's kind of a story with a bunch of twists and turns, but I guess to actually talk about my first start in media in general, the Greensboro Record had a, uh, Greensboro News and Record, excuse me, had a uh, minority journalism workshop that they were doing for high school students so they could get high school students involved in journalism a little bit more. And so I participated in that the summer between sophomore and junior year in high school. Then I did it again between junior and senior year. Then again, after my senior year going into college, they then offered me a job at the News and Record right as I was starting college at UNCG. And so when we met, I was already basically working professionally, you know, part-time in our first, you know, BCN 100 class. But that's where it really started. And then from there, you know, of course, you know, I started doing radio on campus with you. And then, uh, you know, the internship with one or two jams. And then it just kind of goes on from there. You know, that was really the start pretty much when I was 16. Right. Quick sidebar, didn't Stephen A. Smith used to write for the Greensboro News and Record? I think he had like a quick stint there. I think he had more time with the Winston Family Journal, but I think he did have a quick stint with the News and Record. Yeah, because I know he had ties to the track because he played ball at uh, WSSU under Big House Games. Yes, sir. Yeah, so you mentioned BCN 101, good old Frank P. Donaldson. I remember, like, yesterday when we met, I think I had tapped you on the shoulder and was asking you, can I borrow a pen or something? And this is back, I believe, when you still had your uh, little fist B2K braids in. <laughs> yep, I did, yeah. Yeah, and, and I was like, hey, man, what's, what's going on? And then, like you stated earlier, and we both cut our teeth at WAG. Shout out to Jack Bonnie, who gave both of us our start. So tell me what it was like for you when you finally came in, got your own show, and started the launch of Carolina Crump under your uh, previous name. I feel like I should say this, the artist formerly known as Show Smooth. You know what's funny? I still have friends that I met between 2004 and 2009, or I would say 2010, that literally still call me like Show or Show Smooth. They can't call me Chris, which is funny. But yeah, that was a cool time. You had a chance to get started. I think pretty much immediately as soon as you got on campus. When I first started that first semester, I didn't get into radio immediately, but I remember you raising your hand. I do remember letting you borrow the pen, but I do remember like you being somebody who always contributed a lot in class and you would talk about your radio show when you're contributing. So I was just like, all right, I need to talk to this dude. And I'm like, I just remember hitting you up like, yo, you know, tell me a little bit more about the radio. And, you know, my name is Chris or whatever. And I think
think that's how we really, really began talking. And I, you invited me to come through, and I kind of watched you do your thing. And then before it was Carolina Crunk, you know, I just had my, you know, 4 to 7 a.m. show, you know, just kind of there at the radio station, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, then the idea came to me, like, okay, let me play North Carolina hip-hop and R&B. And then that's when I kind of found myself and found my niche at the radio station and started kind of, you know, making a name for myself, you know, with a, a bunch of different people. So that's pretty cool. And then, you know, you, of course, were along there with me. And, of course, you had your in the beat of the night. So that was cool. Right, because actually when I first got started at UAG, I didn't run the board until my second semester because I had a partner named Miles. And I think it was one night he didn't show up. So I had to end up learning how to run the board myself. And this was back when we were in the basement of the Taylor building. And you remember how the basement was where if you were doing a solo dolo show, it was like, uh, the only person that would pop in would be the security guard just to make sure that everything was all good and kosher. But uh, those were fun days, man, where you and I both were able to expand our love for broadcasting. And I did an interview just recently with Desmond Johnson of the Rundown and Sports Carolina Monthly. Shout out to Des, who's also a fellow Spartan like you and I. I was telling him that through your show, it was where I got exposed to a lot of hip-hop in the triad area that I never knew about upon coming to school here. And you know what's crazy? You probably don't even remember this, but I actually used to play Desmond's hip-hop when he was there. So he released like a hip-hop album and I remember, I think it was called Livewire or something like that. I don't even know if you remember this, but their music was there at WAG. And I just remember like stumbling upon the music and like, oh, they're from Greensboro. And so I played it a few times and then me and Desmond, I didn't even know Desmond at the time. And I ended up meeting him when he worked in sales at 102 Jams. So I was like, wait a minute, you look familiar. Did you have an album? And he was like, yeah, I was like, I used to play your music at WAG. So that's kind of like how we, you know, kind of met. But yeah, like back in the day, back when you were coming at my show, like I was playing Desmond's music. So that's, that's kind of funny how small the world is. Yeah, it is crazy. And then when I was speaking with him, I didn't know about the hip hop history that the triad has had and the hip hop scene with the Busy Boy, Dana Lucian, rest in peace. And it was where Ski Beats got to start cutting his teeth. And then, you know, CJ, he used to be a dancer for Busy Boys when he was a kid so I was like yo that's wild yeah that's a lot of uh, lot of cool stories from the triad and how would you compare the hip hop scene in the triad as to in the 919 I guess it's different I don't know besides the people that I knew from my time in college, I don't know the history before that in the 919. And I do have kind of like a, a greater idea of what it was like, you know, in Greensboro with, you know, Ski Beats and what he was trying to do with Now City and what was going on before that entice the female rapper who kind of had like a little run going on coming from Greensboro. So, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with all that. 919, though, you know, around the time we got in college, they just took it to a whole nother level with Justice League and everybody that came out of there. But it's just interesting because with Little Brother, two of the members of the original Little brother from the triad area the history of hip-hop is really kind of entangled because Fonte and, and Knife Wonder Fonte is from Greensboro when Knife Wonder is from Winston-Salem so they really made a name for themselves when they got to Durham and Raleigh so you kind of have to talk about one and the other but the that one not really kind of popped off when we were in college for sure yeah because I remember that was when I first got turned on the little brother because I remember there was a copy of the listening and then once the menstrual show dropped they came to UAG to do a promo run 
Brian. And I remember me and Josh Kimbrough, who was the former PD, we both took a picture with Nine, and I believe with Ku Fonte wasn't there with him. But I remember that, and that was how I was able to get some of my CD collection game up. You know, with take CDs to Jack. Like, hey, I want these CDs copied. He will burn it for me. So I had copies of Little Brother, Foreign Exchange, and some other good stuff that came through WAG. And another instant connection with WAG with you being in the 919 now that um I don't know if you remember Jessam Stanley? Uh, no. Jessam, black girl. Well, she's a yoga instructor she has her own youtube page and is exploding so i was like wow it's definitely good to see fellow foreign alums doing well so you mentioned that you're now doing carolina crunk at uag how did the opportunity for the dean's list with ncbu come about and then talk about how did you manage to get your internship with the wild out at 102 jam so with 102 i had from the time i stepped foot on the college campus i actually was trying to get an internship at Jams and I had emailed everybody I emailed Wally Coyote I emailed Kevin Scales I emailed you know Carlos King back to back to back and people weren't really hitting me back at the time and you know I would see people on the streets their street hits I'm like yo I need an internship and I don't know if you remember this but there was another hip hop station there at the time 94.5 The Beat was there and I remember they were on campus and I was like hey I want an internship you know I was able to actually talk to somebody from there but they didn't have like an internship program so actually fast forward we're starting our sophomore year BDOT is starting to blow up now and he got on Facebook and at the time only college students were on Facebook because he was at Winston-Salem State so I was like alright I'm gonna send this dude a message so I was like yo what's up man I do radio here at UNCG I want to uh, learn radio so you know I would love to get an internship he was like but word you know hit me up you know just come through on Friday or whatever gave me his number all that then Katrina happened and the plan switched they went from doing uh, me supposed to going to 102 Jams to start my internship there at the actual station to ask us to go to Walmart to help them collect supplies and stuff from the community because they're going to send it down to New Orleans and so that was my actual first day and the fact that I still showed up and was willing to carry water and other supplies or whatever I guess showed that you know I really wanted it and so they welcomed me with open arms and then that's when everything started pretty much my sophomore year as far as the dean's list you told me about the dean's list <laughs> you were I was just like, I forgot exactly what setting, but I remember you talking about it. And then I was just like, do you mind if I, you know, go for it too? And you're like, yeah, go for it. So I just, I think me and you both went for it. And uh, you ended up getting it. Yeah, they gave it to me. But that's why I was just like, all right, you know, he told me about it. So I wanted to make something to where all my friends were involved. So hopefully you felt enough involved because, you know, I remember you and Ashton and Josh being involved and kind of getting into the shots and stuff like that because I wanted to have that part of it. So for people who don't know, Dean's List was a MTVU show that you had to, it's your own top 10, but you had to kind of shoot it yourself on campus. So I got some people involved on campus with it. So we did scenes at the radio station. We did scenes in one of like the halls of one of the, I don't even remember, maybe the science building or something. Yeah, like I think that. it was the new, new science building, I believe. Yeah, and then we did a scene at a party. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you had, I remember you had that coochie, uh, button up and I had my shower job pulling. I think Shodaline was playing and somebody yeah, it, was <laughs> it was a cool little shoot that we did and got a chance to, you know, get some of my friends on TV. So that was cool. Right. Yeah, man. But that's the one thing that I think it's lost now with 
social media and the rise of it being me, 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 where when something doesn't go your way, you pass it on to the next person. I believe that's the gift of reciprocity. Like, if I know that there's something that could be beneficial to somebody, pass it on to the next. And I think we don't see a lot of that now, where everybody's kind of out for themselves and not really willing to share or to help someone else out, you know? That's one of the things I try to, to teach the people that ask me. I always get people who ask me, like, hey, you know, how can I be a sports anchor? How can I get involved in news? And I answer, everybody that's asked me that question, I answer them. And usually what I'll do, I can't do this now because of coronavirus, but I usually say, hey, come shadow me. And I'll put that uh, invitation out. And then if they want to, they'll show up. So from there, usually when I put that invite out, maybe only like 10% actually come. So then out of that 10%, I'll say, you know, this is what we do. They follow me for the day. And then I'll say, like, hey, if you have any other questions, hit me up. If you want to get deeper into it, I can help you out as much as possible. But you have to do some work on your own. And from there, maybe only 10% of those people actually do that. And so that's where I started getting some mentees from. And I had a few mentees. I actually had one from UNCG this past semester. And. And it's been cool to kind of show them and I'll tell everybody, like, I remember not getting responses from people, not only that at 102 Jams, but just other places, like just trying to break in the door and people not responding. And so I didn't have certain access. So for me, I look at it like, hey, you hit me up. I gave you the opportunity. You kept following through. So I'm going to give you access to things that I didn't have access to before. And when you make it, remember this, because I want you to do the same for somebody else. And that's one of the things that I try try to, you know, teach my mentees that ask me for advice and all that because, you know, you got to always pay it forward. And that's the thing I think about me and your relationship is that we both had, you know, separate shows, but we never competed with each other. It was always like a brotherhood between us. And it felt like your successes were my successes. When you got, you know, the big time interviews, I was happy. I'm like, yeah, we're going to make it. When I got the big time interviews, it felt like you were happy for me. So, so that's the thing that I appreciate about our relationship too. Yeah, man. And to think back to our time at UAG, there was a lot of other good DJs that were there when we were there. Uh, shout out to Press, shout out to F, Section 8, A-Town, Kyle Butler, Craig Beltry. I mean, we were just loaded, and the good thing that I liked about UAG was it was where you could hear anything at any time of the day, and I was able to record my shows on cassette tapes. For those of you that don't know cassette tapes, Google it, kids, because they used to have a cassette tape deck underneath the board and I remember spending my money religiously on I think it was four packs of PDK one and 20 minute cassette tape where I could record the full two hours and I still have boxes of my shows back home but do you still have some tapes of Carolina Crunk that we'll probably hear on social media be like this is when <laughs> I was first cutting my teeth they're somewhere I don't know where they are but they're somewhere I know my mom had like a storage unit so either there or in my dad's house but I remember us going to Walmart making Walmart runs so we could get some cassette tapes for our shows so yeah those were the days man yeah and then I remember when it was my last show bro like Prez was in the studio a lot of other WAG DJs came through to say salute because you gotta remember I've been on the air for five years and I think the last song I played was Voice to Men is So Hard and I cried because I remember Press hugging me man I cried bro because you saw like how much work 
I put in to my show and all the interviews I've gotten. You know what I mean? So WHG was definitely very special to the both of us. So fast forward to you graduating in 08. Did you know right then that you wanted to continue with 102 or were you looking for other outside ventures? So that was an interesting time. So I don't know if you remember that spring of 08. By that time, I was already a part-time employee at 102 Jams and still was, you know, doing stuff with the morning show. And they had a change with their morning show producer. So they hired me as the morning show producer. So, like, literally, like, my birthday happens April 10th, and I think the next Monday. And we still have a month left in classes. I started my full-time job. So the last month of classes, I was a full-time employee and a full-time student trying to finish up everything. The other cool thing was MTV was considering me for, because after I'd done the Dean's List, I did the Woody Awards in 2007 and then another show called The Fresh. So I had already built up a relationship with MTV at the time. So they were looking to do a TRL dance type of show. And uh, I don't know if you remember when we were staying in that apartment at Spring Garden Apartments where I was oh, yeah. doing like, oh, yeah, yeah. videos or whatever for MTV. They kept sending like scripts and stuff for me to send for audition. So I didn't know what was happening when I was even I was leaving college with a full-time job in radio, which is cool, you know, because that's what I set out to do. But then, you know, it's like, all right, I have this opportunity with MTV. We're going to see what, what's going to happen. Maybe that summer after the graduation was over, like after summer was over, the new fall semester was starting, and then it's like real life now. And I hadn't heard anything from people from MTV. I went out to L.A. to do an interview at NFL Network. Hadn't heard anything from those people. And... I remember picking up the newspaper, like, man, like, what's what's happening? Reading about the different places that have laid people off, and they included MTV, NFL Network, two places where I started to have relationships. And so I remember sending emails after that to the people who I knew at those places, and the emails bounced back. And I was like, oh, those are the people who <laughs> have been laid off. That can't. So it was tough because it was like I was assuming that I had a really good chance to move somewhere, you know, going to New York or going to L.A. to start my TV career. And that's not what happened. So, I, you know, I kept trying to shop myself around, shop myself around. And so that's what I was really trying to do on the television side. And then the next year I got laid off at 102 Jams from a full-time job, but then rehired part-time. And that was just a weird time for me because it wasn't my post-college career wasn't going the way I thought it was going to go. So it took some time. I had a little detour as far as, like, I got into the club and I was manager of Lotus Lounge for a little bit. I was a pro wrestler for a little bit, but then finally I was like, man, I need to do what I've been passionate about, and this is either full-time on radio or full-time on TV, because I was starting to get to the age where if I didn't do it now, it's not going to happen, and WXI had a opening. I had no business <laughs> having that particular job, but I was like, look, I'm going to send them my stuff from MTV and a bunch of radio clips and let them hear what I can do and see what I did on TV back you know, when I was in college. And so, luckily, after going through a few rounds with them, I was able to get on with WXI as a traffic anchor, and I was just like, I'm not letting go after this. I finally got in the door somewhere. And then from there, you know, traffic anchor for three years, but filled in on the sports desk, found sports, and eventually got to sports over at WXI, and now I'm the head sports anchor at WRL, the first black sports anchor that WRL has ever had. So, um, I'm excited for this opportunity and where I've been. Yeah, man, because I didn't find out that you auditioned for NFL Network until when I was listening to your Shower Time podcast, I was like, yo, I did not know that. And then when I saw on social media that you got the WRL gig, I immediately texted you 
congrats and said that you're going to a great company, rich tradition. Because I don't know if you know this, but on my show, I had a chance to interview Charlie Gaddy, who was a longtime anchor for WRL, and Tom Suter, who was the sports anchor for WRL when I was a kid, and they still have the Extra Effort Award named after him. So WRL, great rich tradition in the Raleigh Durham market. The recently left Reverend Greg Fischel, very outstanding. Bob DeBartolaben, who came before him, and you replaced Jeff Gravely, who was the host mm-hmm. of Football Friday, which I watched religiously when I was in high school because I played football on that side of the state. So that's how we were able to kind of scout who we were going to play for the next week. And I don't know if you know this, but WRL played a role in the independent circuit. This was back when Jim Crockett had his promotional company. This was back before Vance took over all the regional territories. But his promotion used to tape wrestling at WRL Studios. Oh, yeah. The funny thing about it is that when I was shopping myself around, I was actually hiding the fact that I used to be a wrestler and and somebody I met from CNN, we were talking or whatever, and then eventually it came out that I was a wrestler, and they're like, whoa, why didn't you say this at the beginning? And I was just like, well, you know, I just didn't know if that would be relevant. And they're like, no, put this on your resume, and when you start shopping yourself out, put that on there, let it be in the forefront. You used to be a pro wrestler. And so as I was job searching, the funny thing is, because I had, you know, multiple offers and multiple stations talking to me, every station that talked to me, including WRL, the first thing they wanted to talk about when they picked up the phone was wrestling, like, wait a minute, you used to be a wrestler? And of course, when I was talking to WRL, they mentioned their history with wrestling and they showed me where everything happened and, and all that. And so hopefully when coronavirus is all done, I wanted to go back and either do, I'm not sure exactly what form, but either do a series of stories or a podcast series on the wrestling past at WRL. So it's funny how, you know, your, your past can come back to help you in different ways if you just kind of, you know, accept everything you've done. Right, yeah. And I think that would definitely be a good look because we got vices show Dark Side of the Ring which has really been taking off exploring a lot of the past with wrestling they did episodes with Legion of Doom Devon Elricks Jimmy Superfly Snooker and I believe next week they're going to do an episode on Owen Hart okay cool yeah I can't wait to see it I've only seen a few episodes the New Jack episode the guy from Greensboro and then Chris Benoit episode yeah so how was it for you when you first stepped into the square circle going to the wrestling school learning how to do it as opposed to when you were watching it as a kid, watching either WWF, Now E, or WCW. So, actually, I was supposed to start training wrestling around the time we met, but I started kind of falling out of love with wrestling, and then I realized, like, oh, I guess I'm only going to be 5'9", because I guess I had these fantasies I was going to end up being 6'4", or something like that. I was just thinking I was too small to be a wrestler. Fast forward, kind of fell out of love with wrestling while I was in college, but I get back to it at some point. It was like, man, I just remember I loved wrestling so much. Started catching up, and then started going to shows and I started looking and wrestlers had gotten smaller and a lot of guys were my size so you know this is around the time I was doing the club thing and club was fun but it wasn't my passion and I was only doing radio part time so I was just like alright I need to try to do everything I wanted to do so I was rapping at the time shout out to my man Genre we had just released our album Shocker I was rapping at the time I was doing radio and I was also trying to get into television and I was wrestling and well, I was starting to learn how to wrestle and so so, you know, I just hit up these guys and I was like, look, 
I do this. I'm a radio guy. I'm not doing this for an expose. I love wrestling. I can show you proof. It's like, you know, I'm not coming in just to, like, waste your time. I'm really wanting to learn how to wrestle. So I actually met these guys. And then when I met him, I was like, wait a minute. I went to UNCG with you. It's a guy named Brad Stutt. I don't even know if you remember him, but he had a show at WAG for a little bit. And so I was just like, you went to UNCG with me. And I know we've been to some of the same wrestling shows as kids. And because he just looked so familiar, started naming off these wrestling shows. And then he realized, like, oh, you are. A real wrestling fan. You went to this random show in Thomasville, North Carolina in 1999. You remember seeing me there. You're a wrestling fan. They trained me and had the chance to step in the ring with a lot of big time people. A lot of people who are currently in WWE right now. Uh, a lot of former big time stars. It was fun, man. I'll still be wrestling right now if it weren't for the fact that um, the sports started because you know that took up my weekend, so I couldn't wrestle. But uh, wrestling was, was very fun. And hey, you know who knows? Maybe I would have been able to make it in that if uh, sports anchor didn't come along. Yeah. Because I remember submitting to you a possible name for a finisher. I still say that it was a good name, the 5 o'clock traffic jam. I did have a, a finisher called the traffic jam. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I, I want at least a little bit of residual for that, but um, let's circle back to... um. Yeah. yeah, let, I'll, give yeah. You, I'll give you zero cents because that's how much I made off of it. Hey, man, broke by broke. I understand that. So um, let's circle back and talk about the history of 102 and the triad because talking with Desmond, I was telling him that Brian Douglas knows talent because you think about everybody that went through 102 and has gone on to bigger and better things. So what was it about the station, especially Brian, that he was able to spot out talent. Brian is one of those like evil geniuses that he's that you know person where I don't think you can have a regular conversation with him. All your conversations with him are epic and you learn a lot and your head explodes afterwards just because he's just so full of knowledge. And he is. He's just a good eye and ear for talent. So many people who have successful radio careers elsewhere stopped by 102 Jams or fired from 102 Jams, you know, and they all learned there. I mean, you talk about Terrence J, and you talk about Boogie D, you talk about Kendall B, then you got Horace Rainey, and of course, Kyle Centillion, who's doing his thing in Chicago, probably outside of Terrence J, the person who's probably made the biggest name. Africa, she went from 102 Jams to Miami, then over to LA, then Detroit, now she's back at 97. And it was just so many in tap money who's currently the PD at 107.9 in Atlanta. And then he was doing this thing in Miami recently. There's so many like big people doing big things in the world of radio who came from 102 Jams. My girl, Morty McKenzie, who's the midday girl, she's in Oklahoma City, and she started there at 102 Jams. So it's crazy, man, to see the alumni from 102 Jams and what they've done and how much they've learned from Brian Douglas. And then I guess, you know, you could put me in there because now I'm doing sports television, but I'm not in sports television if I didn't have that experience at 102 Jams and learning a lot of what it takes to be a good broadcaster from Brian Douglas. Right, you're definitely in that mix along with all of the great talent that came through 102, and we can't forget Amos Quick and Buster Brown. Yeah, Amos Quick, Buster Brown, and then, you know, he's still there, but BDOT, because you know, beat out, of course, has made a name nationally for himself and had a stint on Wild Out, and it's just crazy to see. And then, you know, hey, Wally Coyote, you got to throw him in there because, you know, now he's 
from 102 Jams, it gave him an opportunity to learn the music industry. And now he is a big music executive right now, and he uh, manages, you know, one of the budding stars in the music industry right now, Luke Nasty, who's from High Point. So, you know, it's crazy. Like, there's so many different people that have learned under that Brian Douglas tree. Right, yeah, and it's crazy firsthand because I remember coming out to a couple of 102 remotes, just being around that environment, and just seeing all of these people that you mentioned that got their start there and now have extended. It's just cool to see, especially when I saw B-Dot on Wildin' Out because it was on there with Chico Bean and Darren Big Baby Brown who went to A&T. And to just think about those three and how they would do shows at the Comedy Zone. And I was like, yo, that's crazy because I remember seeing B-Dot do a set and then to hear him on your podcast talk about how he managed to get on Wildin' Out. But those of you that don't know, Nick Cannon has North Carolina ties. Yeah, he's from Charlotte. Yeah, but it's definitely cool to see everybody out ascending, out doing their thing. Now, tell me about the moment that you went viral on XII where I think you were trying to do a cheerleading jump and you ended up splitting your pants. Yeah, so it's, it's a segment called, uh, it was Laney's Backyard Barbecue. We had a meteorologist named Laney Pope. I can't remember the circumstances, but they did backyard barbecue on Wednesdays during the summer. And for some reason that summer, she couldn't be at work on Wednesdays. Can't remember what the circumstances were. So they pulled me in because I had, you know, ties of, you know, I knew how to do radio and I'd done, you know, hosting on MTV. So they were just like, Chris would be a perfect host for that. And so they let me do it. This was the actual Wednesday where Laney could actually be there. So for continuity purposes, they were just like, Chris, go out there with her. But, you know, you'll kind of come in on a few things with Laney take over or whatever. And But for this summer, it was kind of like my thing along with Laney's thing. And so that particular day was her first day back doing it. And there was a girl there who was a cheerleader. I can't remember if it was a group. It was some group that was there to raise money for something. I can't remember what it was. But one of the girls who there used to be a cheerleader, and I was like, oh, man, I bet you I can do a better toe touch than you. And she was like, no way. I went to Lane and said, let's do this on TV. She was like, all right, cool, let's do it. And the girl, she does hers. I was like, all right, I'm about to do it. And right before I do it, Lane says, don't split your pants. And something in my head said, oh, now that's actually going to happen now that she said it. And I go do my toe touch, which was better than the cheerleader. <laughs> but you hear this big pop and my, I split my pants and I actually thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> like I was like it was I was laughing and joking and all that because it was funny but in the back of my head I was like yep I'm about to get fired man because I, I was like I don't know if this is professional or whatever so I have to go back inside do the rest of my traffic with split pants and having this crazy breeze coming through and um, my boss comes out and just starts dying laughing and he was like oh my god I told him to put this on the web this is so hilarious I was like oh you're not mad he was like mad it's like no we're about to get a bunch of hits off of this he's like now don't do it again but like this was great and then the next thing i know the next morning good morning america wants to talk to me i'm on the today show i'm on perez hilton's blog i've been on every news station almost around the country and even on news stations in other countries and my mom has a friend in the Netherlands who hit her up and like is this your son that split his pants and so that's how my mom found out about it in florida it's crazy so i went crazy viral right and i forgot to mention that you and i we also did a short standing on spartan television so i think spartan television kind of helped you as well as far as getting into tv and kind of getting your feet wet yeah that was my first experience in actually doing television so yeah spartan mm -hmm. television is big yeah shout out to uh alan buck and everybody that uh worked for us at Spartan tv so you're at wrao now big well-known well-respected tv station not 
just in North Carolina, but in the country. So tell me about the difference in the fan base from WXII and WRL and what has the reception been like since you started? Honestly, I haven't been able to really tell too much of a difference. It's been two months and the last two months has been coronavirus. So I haven't had a chance to really reach out to the community here. But what I have noticed, and I don't know if this is because of different filters they have on email, I've gotten a lot of positive emails from viewers and I've had, um, you know, different people reach out to have me to have me be a part of certain things, which is a lot faster than what I thought it would happen. But it seems to be positive here so far. I love everybody in the triad. The difference with the triad and WRL is WRL and the people here in Raleigh, they're already getting a polished product. When I started at WXI, I wasn't on television every day. I just did stuff in college once a week and did a, you know, three MTV shows or whatever, but that was it. I didn't have that muscle of doing TV every day. They had to grow with me, you know, and there's sometimes I wasn't that good, but they got a chance to see me grow. So eventually, you know, they learned to love me. Here at WRL, you know, I think the reception is different because they're already getting a polished product, and that's cool. But then another thing is a lot of people we went to school with are in this area, so it's been cool kind of to get messages from people who hadn't seen me since college, and they're like, oh, man, you're on my TV, and get a chance to watch you with my kids and say that, you know, I went to school with you. So I think that's pretty cool. Right, because growing up when I was a kid, WRL, it was a CBS affiliate, and then after Super Bowl 50, they switched over to an NBC affiliate. And back before they became a CBS affiliate, they were originally an ABC affiliate, and WRL holds the distinction of being, I think, the only TV station in the triangle to hold affiliation with the victory networks but state fair time i doubt they'll have it this year but you'll get a big pop at the state fair because for me the highlight every year when i went was going to the wrl booth and getting an autograph from whether it was david crabtree pam salsby renee mccoy greg fisher tom Sluter, anybody that was from wrl it was definitely a big hit now, I want to talk about you being in NABJ and how has that been beneficial for you in your career as a journalist? NABJ is huge. I think anybody that wants to do anything professionally anywhere, you need to join a professional organization with people who are doing the same thing you're doing. I didn't start going to NABJ until I was doing sports. I didn't go while I was doing traffic, and I should have gone while I was doing traffic because I would have grown so much more. But it's been huge. I've had a chance to get great mentors. I have mentors right now who are all over the country. One of my mentors is a big-time sports anchor in Boston. Another one of my mentors is a news anchor in Boston, and another one of my mentors isn't even on TV, but he's an executive at Fox Sports. We just took to each other, and... You know, I wouldn't have had any of that if I didn't go to NABJ and have access to these people who are giving me these great ideas, who are giving me these great feedback, who was able to talk me through my job search. I mean, it was really cool to have that and have these people to kind of lean on. And I just think that big, anybody that's involved in anything professionally, you need to find that professional organization and, and find those like-minded people, those people who've been there before and get those mentors because they will definitely help you make it to the next level. Right. It's definitely not what you know, but who you know. And then if you ever find yourself in a lurch, maybe those connects could probably help you. For those of you that don't know, NABJ stands for National Association of Black Journalists. Now, I remember it was maybe a couple years ago that had a convention down in uh, the 504, the Big Easy, New Orleans. 
Orleans. Now, were you super hyped to go to New Orleans knowing that, as long as I know you, that you're a big fan of cash money? Yeah. So what's funny, I had a friend who was a big-time pro wrestler in New Orleans. And so I told him I was in town during the Saturday of NABJ. It was more of a down day. He gave me a tour of all the wards. So I had a chance to go through. I saw the Calliope. I saw what's now Magnolia because they've torn down the Magnolia Project. I got a chance to go to Lil Wayne's neighborhood. Like, I saw it all. I had a chance to actually, like, put my eyes on what these guys are actually talking about. It was really cool. But, yeah, I really enjoyed my time in New Orleans. So speaking about how hip-hop has gone global and it is, a smaller community now because with the rise of social media and the internet. How do you feel about the loss of the regionality that once was when the world felt so much bigger? Like when you went to New Orleans, you heard Bounce, DC, Go-Go, Houston, Chopped and Screwed, G-Funk, out on the West Coast. So what are your feelings about kind of losing that regionality sound once everything started to go smaller because of the internet? I think the cool thing about it is that something that can start from a small neighborhood can now go global and you can a small idea out of, you know, a neighborhood in New Orleans that's riddled with crime can all of a sudden be like a national, international sound. The hard part about that is that, yes, you do start to lose what's happening in a region, and now people want to sound alike in different things. So I would like to see people start to develop more regional sounds, but I'm not sure if that can even happen now anymore because, you know, with the way things are going, you might be in North Carolina making music, but that's just your location. You could actually find fans in Florida, and those could be the people that could, you know, push you to stardom. So it's kind of tough to do the regional thing now just because of the Internet. You know, people don't really have CDs and like that anymore. You know, when we were coming up in the radio world, when people were doing our promo runs, they'd hand us CD. Now, if you hand somebody a CD, they probably won't even know what to do with it because a lot of new cars don't even have CD players in them. And so that hand-to-hand thing doesn't work anymore. So it has to go digital. And since it has to go digital, it's kind of hard to just focus your efforts on your region. So now you have to have a sound that is kind of universal because, you know, like I said, you might be from North Carolina, but people who are going to blow you up aren't around here. So you have to have a sound that other people are going to be able to chop to. I think it's just the way of the world and the times right now. But it's a good thing and it's also a bad thing at the same time. And your feelings on the current state of hip-hop in North Carolina because they had Little Brother released their album, May the Lord Watch. Last year, Rasty with her album Ease, then the baby with Kirk, who I found out from mutual people that we knew, he went to UNCG for a minute. I heard that too. He wasn't there when we were there because he's you know younger than us. But yeah, I heard he was at UNCG for a bit. North Carolina hip hop is good right now. There's a few people to look out for. I was talking about Luke Nasty earlier. He's one of those guys that you've heard a Luke Nasty song and you probably don't even realize that you have. He's probably just on the verge of actually just breaking out. He's from High Point and he used to be part of a, a group called the 336 Boys. I played their music back when I was at WAG. Um, and then got my man Tigo B. He's on a rise and he's going to break out at some point. And then the folks that you mentioned, along with Son of Faux Vegas and other folks, I feel like now there's an actual eye on North Carolina, you know, people who uh, are starting to really take it serious because, and also there's a variety. You got J. Cole, you got Rhapsody, but then, you know, who can give you the conscious stuff, but then you can also go on the other end and turn up with the baby. And so I think that's kind of interesting that we can give you that mix. And I felt for the longest that our state had been overlooked because with us being in the middle between New York and Atlanta that everybody had passed through here, that we were just 
taking sounds from different regions and trying to put our own stamp on it. But I think now we're starting to embrace the fact that, hey, we're North Carolina. We're not New York. We're not Atlanta. We're not L.A. We're going to just do us. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So one of the things when you talk about regional sound, back when we were in college, there were different sounds. If you went to Raleigh, there's a different sound. If you came to Greensboro, there was a different sound. If you went to Charlotte, there's a different sound. If you went to Fayetteville, there's a different sound. And I think that was the thing about North Carolina is that even though Charlotte is the bigger city, you can't just identify like one city isn't so overpowerful that you could just say just Charlotte. Just like in Georgia, if you think about Georgia, it's just Atlanta. So here, it was different. Like you kind of had to bring in the whole state, but then you went to different markets inside the state and people sounded completely different. So I think from a marketing standpoint, a lot of people in the industry just didn't know how to market North Carolina. And I think that was the pushback against Petey Pablo because Petey Pablo really did have like that Eastern kind of 252 to more like fringe 919 type of sound, which was cool, but there's a lot of people who just didn't have that sound. His sound was kind of regional in North Carolina, which is the craziest part. And so even though he was trying to represent the entire state, there was a little bit of pushback because the sound was different depending on where you're at. And so I think now it's starting to become more of a welcoming, like North Carolina is going to sound different. And so I think that's the good thing. And even though Rhapsody fits the conscious stuff, I was super happy when I first saw her on the BT Hip Hop Award Cypher that she was from 252. And I was like, yo, she's from my side of the state because 252 Let's be honest, everybody thought that that side of the state, country, slow, and the fifth and fashion skit on Little Brothers Minstrel Show, they were talking about a hockey North Carolina, and I'm like, why you got to play my side of the state like that? Yeah, that's funny, but I'm glad that, you know, she's definitely doing her thing, and I think she was robbed out of a Grammy this year because her album was amazing. I agree as well, because Eve talked about them. It's an album where you can play it all the way through, no skips, made a little watch. I felt the same way, no skips, even though we didn't have ninth. On the album, Fonte and Pooh still delivered a good product. And the 336 Boys you mentioned that Luke Nasty was in that you played on WAG. Shout out to my boy B-Man and Without No DJ Podcast. He just recently did an interview with Little Vegas for 102. And he was saying how him and Luke Nasty... They went to school together, and I think he was in that group as well. I'm not sure. Little Vegas. I think Vegas was, like, helping him DJ or whatever at, at some point. Luke Nasty is definitely doing his thing in Vegas. You would love Vegas. You and Vegas are, like, musical prodigies who, because he's such, he's a young dude, but he knows so much about music and the history of music. He has a great appreciation for the past. Yeah, yeah, I know. I listened to his interview with B-Man just to hear, like, his knowledge, and then, you know, the story of him getting the co-sign by several prominent DJs are like, yo, he knows his stuff, because I rarely get to go home as it is with me being out here in New Mexico, so hearing hip-hop and urban stuff, it was like, yes, because out here, musically, it's more turban, top 40, and then with the heavy Hispanic demographic out here, you're going to hear a lot of, you know, Spanish mixed in with a lot of your regular top 40, so it's definitely a breath of fresh air, and then for minorities here, you'll have most of them out in Albuquerque, maybe Las Cruces, right around that area, because you have military base down in El Paso, and then there's an Air Force base in Albuquerque, but if you really want to go see a good urban show, I would have to go to either Phoenix, Arizona, Vegas, or Denver. But the good thing about where I'm at is that Vegas is only an eight-hour drive. 
Denver is about the same, and Phoenix is about six. I don't know if I even told you this, but um, I also had an offer for a job out in Denver, so if I didn't go to Raleigh, Denver could have been it. Oh, wow. Yeah, Denver is really dope. Shout out to uh, KJ Midday. She was doing her thing when Greensboro had a second Urban AC station to compete with QMG. I think she's out in Denver now, I believe. Nice. Yes, man. It is just amazing. And how do you feel about the merging of sports and hip-hop with the podcast game going on because you had Jamel Hill and her podcast Unbothered. She had a short stint in Raleigh with the News and Observer, uh, Bomani Jones. He had a short stint out in Raleigh as well doing his show on the local ESPN radio affiliate. And of course, Stephen A., Jalen Jacoby, all the smoke. So what do you with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes. What do you think about the intersection of sports and hip-hop with all these various podcasts going on? Oh, yeah, and Jalen Jacoby. It's needed at this time because a lot of athletes listen to hip-hop, and so there's a lot of influence that's there back and forth, and, you know, a lot of hip-hop stars watch sports. And so you see the influences that go back and forth with each other. So, you know, I think that definitely needs to be represented in media for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then shout out to all the athletes professionally that held from the track. You have CP3, Eric Ebron, Harry Giles. And I'm sure there's a list of a whole bunch of other athletes that come out of the track. So it's definitely cool to see that. And then Ken Jones from the Mass Singer, who I didn't know his dad taught at A&T. And he went to, I believe, Paige. He's from Greensboro. He's from Page High School. Also, I want to say shouts out to Mareba. I don't know if you ever listened to Mareba, but she's a singer. You've heard her on the Rhapsody's album. You probably heard her on uh, Jadena's album. She's been on a few different people's albums, but Mareba has a dope album that came out last year, and she had a single Black Truck. She's from Philly initially, but she moved to Greensboro when she was like 13. Her dad taught at A&T while we were at UNCG. And one of the songs on her album, Black Truck, is actually about her dad's passing. One of uh, my coworkers, Morgan McKenzie, who's in Oklahoma City, who I was talking about before, doing middays out there. When she was at A&T, Mareba's father was her professor. So there's other North Carolina influences, which is crazy. And there's also an R&B singer named PJ, who's from Greensboro as well. So those are some good lessons if you want to check out some new music. I think you'll like Mareba and PJ for sure. Yeah, definitely. And real quick flashback story, and we're going to do shout-outs. I'm going to get y'all out here. Do you remember when we went to, I think it was Solaris, I want to say? And it was right after maybe a year or so after Fantasia won American Idol and she was performing and Gav Beats was there. Shout out to T. Weezy, by the way, who's with the Hamiltons, uh, Anthony Hamilton, background singers, but uh, do you remember that, man? Yeah, we went to a lot of different shows and Alexander Devereaux and stuff, too. A lot of people who are currently doing a lot of great things right now were there, and so, you know, there's like a slew of things. We can talk for a whole another three hours about that, so, but yeah, there's a lot of great talent coming out of North Carolina. Yeah, because I remember when you had Joe Barino on your show. You had Rico as well. But I especially remember when you had Joe because I remember looking at him in the face and I didn't want to bring it up. I was like, you know, anybody told you you look like Casey from Jodeci? But then kind of find out that, you know, they're all related. And then Anthony Hamilton said that he's also related to Fantasia, Casey, and JoJo as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a small world down here, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a small world, and it's definitely good to see our home state well represented, you know, in all facets. And I could be remiss. If I did not ask you about your thoughts on The Last Dance and hearing 
his airness speak because, you know, he rarely gives interviews. And then that one time you took a picture with him. Yeah. So the last dance, I think it's been pretty good so far. It's been something that's been kind of eye opening and seeing how Jordan operated. I had a chance to interview Fred Whitfield, who is the president of the Hornets and a good friend of Michael Jordan. And he's also from Greensboro. So I interviewed him for WRL. It was good just to kind of see how their friendship started back in the 80s and how Mike has been until it's been now. That's been cool. It was actually because of Fred Whitfield and his brother Charles Whitfield that I met Mike back when I was like 20. And so that's how I was able to get that picture with him that you saw. You know, they always did this charity event in Greensboro. So there was like, it was a star-studded event. That same night I also met Stephen A. Smith for the first time, but Mike is the dude you really want to get the picture with. So luckily he was able to oblige. Right. Were you on the outside trying to play a cool bone inside? You're like, yo, I'm taking a picture with the goats and trying not to be all like a fanboy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, you know, around that time, I was meeting a lot of people anyway. And so, you know, it, it was cool to meet people, but it's different when you meet Mike, man. It's just, he's just a whole nother level. It just feels different around his presence. Right. I felt the same way when my wife and I, we went to Memphis for our anniversary back in October, and we happened to go to Al Green's church because, you know, he preaches. And it happened to actually be on a Sunday where he was there preaching, and he was actually there. And I was trying my hardest not to fan out in church, but there was like a busload of international people coming to go to the service, and they had no shame taking pictures, recording the church service, trying to slip a program for him to sign while he was preaching. Man, it was just nuts. I was trying my hardest to contain myself, bro. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man, for sure. This is definitely big, and I'm glad to see where you've grown, for sure. Yeah, definitely, man. Any shout-outs you want to give before we close? Man, shout-out to you. <laughs> shout-out to Jay Mace, man. Jay Mace was a huge influence in, in my career, so I want to thank you for that. I'm glad to see you coming back around to it and doing the podcast. Yeah, man because to be honest with you kind of like you I kind of had lost the love for it once I had got out of school you know because things didn't line up the way that I thought it would so I dabbled in various careers I did teaching for a minute realized that it wasn't for me you know I'm doing the current 9 to 5 gig now working for the state good gig but doing the podcasting kind of allows me to get back to doing what I love doing and the funny thing is that I still have a lot of people on Facebook that say yo I still listen to your interviews and everything like your interviews inspire me they do my because D-Man it hit me up he was like yo man like because of your interviews it got me the one to do you know my podcast so I still feel humbled the fact that people still listen to those interviews, you know, 10 plus years later. And I personally feel that had social media been as big as it was back then, like it is now, I definitely think it would have gotten a lot more reach. But things happen, you know, as they may. But that's neither here nor there. But I'm just glad to get back to doing what I love doing. And because of you, man seeing what you've done and it just warms my heart man to see how far you've come from our journey as freshmen in BCN 101 to seeing where you are now with WRL and being a family man and everything and from my heart brother I am so 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 proud of you thank you bro I really appreciate it I'm proud of you too you know let's not dwell too much on the past and maybe past mistakes because we still have the future ahead of us and you still have an opportunity with social media and your voice right now to make a huge impact so let's do it ladies and gentlemen once again a very special edition of Beyond the Album cover with my good friend WREL sports anchor Chris Lee. Chris, thank you for being on the podcast, my brother. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, man.